Good morning. It's a great blessing for me to come to you today on this Easter weekend and just bring you the message of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I trust that you've had a wonderful weekend, even if you've been with family or even if you've been alone, just thinking and pondering upon the goodness of Jesus Christ, enjoying what he has come to give us freely. Now, let us just pray together as we start our service. Father, I want to thank you for your love, your grace. I want to thank you for the grace of the resurrection. I want to thank you, Father, for a life that removes all anxiety, all fear, a life where we know we cannot add one cubit to our own life or to our own stature or one minute to our own life. All that we can have is what you give us. And Lord, we know if we cannot add anything to our life, it is all about you, the only one that has life, that grants it to us. Thank you that you know our frame. You know how frail we are and that you have not designed a system wherein we stand on how frail we are, but where we stand on how strong you are. Help us, Lord, to understand that. Speak powerfully through me today, Father, that people who hear this message can be deeply encouraged. And thank you, Lord, this message will go all over the world, touching the lives of people. Amen. Today I'm going to read from Luke chapter 12. This was a scripture that I did uh, read in our daily devotionals earlier this week, and I thought that this would be a very good place to start. And we're going to read from from this passage talking about worries. Now, I also, uh, on Friday, placed a post on Facebook that I'm going to read to you before we get into the Scriptures, because it's very important for us to understand what kind of a death Jesus Christ died and what He has come to bring us. Now, I'm going to read this, and we'll get back to this later. But it reads as follows. The power of the resurrection is directly linked to the kind of death Jesus died. It's important to know what kind of a death Jesus died. Jesus did not come to trick the world in allotting death to himself in hiding as a disembodied spirit with a father while everybody thought that he was dead in the grave. You know, Jesus didn't come to play a trick on us where we thought that he was dead, where the, the world thought he was dead. Almost something like Socrates was talking about, and Plutarch and Plato out of the philosophy of Socrates and so forth came and said, well, death is just something that happens to the body. You cannot die. You just live. But here Jesus Christ came, and when he died, he didn't play into the theology, or let me put it this way, the philosophy uh, of Socrates and all these Greek philosophers. No, he came and he faced death. He didn't come and trick us where he was now alive, hiding with the Father. Some of the Jews that understood death for what it truly was, the Jews that weren't Hellenized, Hellenized means that as those that have adopted Greek philosophies and so forth, the people that still understood death for what it truly was, what God says it is as pertaining to Adam and Eve and what he mentioned when he explained death in Genesis 3. Jesus Christ came and he did not trick the world by hiding with the Father as a disembodied spirit. No, Jesus died and was raised from the dead. Let us be reminded of his death, the uttermost death, so that we can rejoice in the uttermost life that he stood up into as the Son of God. 
Hallelujah, what a beautiful thought to think of the uttermost death Jesus Christ has entered into so that we can have the uttermost life. Somebody asked me, Bertie, how do you define a complete uh, person, you know, spirit, soul, and body? How do you define that? How do you communicate it effectively to people? It's very simple. It's just called a human being. (laughs) That's all. Jesus, the human, died. And on Friday, we think of that. And, uh, you know, it could have been that it was on Wednesday, a high day and all of that. I don't want to get into all of all of that. But just to, there's a day when we think, especially on the death of Jesus Christ, which we call Good Friday uh, generally. And then uh, on Sunday, today, we are thinking of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how that pertains to us. And when we think of Jesus' death, we think of the death of the human being Jesus. The word became flesh and then died, was then raised from the dead to be a message and a truth unto us that manifests in who we are as humans. That is what this is all about. Now, uh, let us get into Luke chapter 12. It reads as follows. I'm going to read from verse 17. It says, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest, He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. Now this man was now taking thought, taking thought on the prosperity that he has, the ability that he has, and how he's going to conduct his life further on. What he's going to do to enter into true rest, the rest of having life. And this is what's happening. He says, then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones. And there I will store up my surplus of grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, enter into your rest. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whosoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Now what is happening here is, many people read it this way, is that the moment a person stores up things for himself, then God is going to kill him, and God is going to go and demand his life from him. The parable should not be read this way. The way it should be read is that a person looks at his own ability, then from his own ability thinks, what shall I do that I may have a long, peaceful life? Then he thinks by his own ability, he'll store up for himself from his own ability enough food and clothes and whatsoever is needed. And then he'll rest in that. And then God comes and says to him, well, this is actually how it should be read. What if you die tonight? Whose will that then be? That is a way of saying that these things could not prolong your own life. We cannot prolong our own life, not even with an hour. That is what he is saying here. 
Who of us can prolong our life with one hour? Many people, and I've seen atheists say that they can prolong their life with one hour. Just drink some vitamins or just eat healthy or exercise more and you'll prolong your life with one hour. No, life, that is not what that parable means. Life is given unto us. And after you've been healthy, after you've eaten well, after you have now lived your life and died, who can now, after he's died, in what he's done, after his life has now been demanded from him, in other words, you've now lost your life, prolong his life with one hour. In other words, who can raise himself from the dead to live one more hour? There is no such a person. There's no technology. There's nothing that can do that. They cannot even, after you have truly died, uh, raise you from the dead or any of that. It's just like you are, if you are clinically dead, the machines can pump your heart and let your blood flow, but you have died. They can uh, uh, fake life, but they cannot give life. And this is what Jesus then brings to the forefront. He then says, therefore, I tell you, because it's not within man's ability to prolong his own life with one hour, he says here, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and body is more than clothes. So what he's saying is is that what is truly all about is life. It is not just longevity, but protecting and having life that is unending. That's what it is. It's about prolonging life. And he says here that food and clothes is not enough to prolong life. He says life is more than food and clothes. So food, clothing cannot prolong life. Uh, what you eat and what you wear cannot determine if you will be raised from the dead. That is just what Jesus has in his mind when he says this. He says here, so if what you wear and what you eat cannot prolong your life why would you even take thought of those things because it cannot it's got no value into prolonging your life we will then have to look at what does prolong life and what promises that if we our life has been lost of us if we have lost our life what can then bring life back and let us live another hour or two or three or maybe have unending life? The conclusion would be that it would be only God and we find proof of that in the resurrected Jesus Christ and him being Lord ruling over death, giving unto man the fulfillment of the promise of eternal life. So the question is basically, when we look at the things of this world, can it truly prolong our lives? Can it raise us from the dead? No, it cannot. So it says, why worry about it? Now I want to look at the word worry there. Uh, the word worry in Luke chapter 2, it's, it's in the King James, it says, take no thought. That word uh, where it says thought, take no thought like that man, he was taking thought, he was allotting it to himself to prolong his own life, or he was thinking, let me take thought of, what, of, of how I will conduct my life, and then he said, let me save up these things, and he was basically taking thought of how to have this peaceful life, but he was not taking thought, or he was not even giving it any thought on 
what what uh, what if I lose my life? He was not thinking of that. Now, the taking of thought here means to be anxious about. To be anxious about. It comes from the root word meros, which means to divide or to allot to yourself. So, when the Bible says do not worry, means don't allot to yourself or give any merit to yourself in contributing to having life. Don't do that. There's no merit in anything that you can do. Uh, You cannot merit your own ability and say that there is merit in what I can do and what I can bring to the table to prolong life. In other words, to, to raise myself from the dead. Now, we think that it is just about becoming uh, 75 and not 70 or becoming 85 and not 75 and that kind of a thing. That's the uh, level to which we think. But God thinks further. He says, what if you have now died? What then? What's going to happen then? How will you continue to live? You'll only need the one that has eternal life that can grant it to you. So when you worry, when a person enters worries, is when you allot to yourself the responsibility and when you merit, when when you think there's merit in your own contribution in adding to life. We find that people in the Old Testament did that, and I'm going to read it to you. That is in Genesis chapter 3. Let me read that. It's um, from verse 4. It says, uh, let me read from verse 1, Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more croft than any of the wild animals uh, the Lord God has made. And he said unto the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but, our, but God said you must not eat of the fruit that comes from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. Then uh, the serpent says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from this tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what the serpent was basically saying to her is, listen man, there's merit in eating of this tree. God knows that when you eat of this tree, that you will discover that you are eternal gods in yourself and that you will not live under the trick that God is trying to play uh, with you wherein you uh, render worship to him and where you honor him. But you will have eternal life in yourself. There's merit in knowing the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for inside yourself is the ability to prolong your own life. That is what he is saying to them. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, in other words, exactly what this guy was thinking here, you know, let me store up some food, let me use my own ability to provide for myself. So when she saw that if I can be at a place where I stand in the solitude of myself, from there I will be able to feed myself. There is merit in standing in the solitude of myself. There is power within myself to provide life for myself. It's desirable to gain wisdom. In other words, I will know how inside myself is the wisdom to uh, prolong my life and live forever. So she gave some to her husband, and listen to what happened here. And they ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized 
that they were not standing in the solitude of themselves, but they were naked and actually stripped of life itself. They don't have life in themselves, by themselves. They saw they were naked. They were not clothed in eternal life themselves. They saw their own inability. And this is the very thing that is being addressed by Jesus Christ here. He's saying to these people, listen, man, what can prolong your life? What can clothe you with life? You are basically a mortal being. You are thinking that you can gather for yourself. And as you gather for yourself, it will prolong your life. No, food cannot make you live forever. Clothes cannot make you live forever. So be mindful of what can, what can bring eternal life to you. Then he says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into, into bonds. They do nothing, but God cares for them. So why are you worrying about food and clothes, things that cannot prolong your life? These are things that God will give to you anyway. He's giving it to the birds. You are more worth you're of, of greater worth than the birds. Rather be mindful of God and be rich towards God who can prolong your life, who can give you eternal life, who does provide hope on the other side of the grave. Yesterday I was watching a video where they explain quantum physics and they try to explain consciousness and where it comes from and where it is in the brain and how it works. And I can see these, uh, these scientists ex trying to get to the root of consciousness and they can even now determine uh, how long and how many cells is needed in the brain to produce Consciousness, and they kind of think they've got this aha moment where they can explain consciousness saying that there is basically no God. But I just look at that and I think how foolish. The gospel is not about where consciousness is. The gospel is what happens when you die. <laughs> that is what it's about. And we sit with an historic event 2,000 years ago, which we're getting into what this whole weekend is about, where we find a man enter into the grave. He was dead for three days. He was dead and then he was raised uh, on the third day. He was raised from the dead never to die him in his physical body his physical body that cannot die was seen touched people saw the body and that body was taken up that physical body was taken up into the heavens and then the spirit of life was poured out on people and we saw a massive change in people's lives take place just after that event wherein people were touched by that power and we find a phenomena that when people believe in that truth the same as what happened 2000 years ago happens to them now it's like uh, you know, yes, we've dis we, we, dis we can discover things in the brain, but that is not what it's about. It's not about discovering where consciousness is. The whole thing is like, once you've discovered where consciousness is, once you've discovered where the brain is, and you die, how is that now going to help you to live? That is the question. The question is, how will you live after you've died, how will what will happen to your body after you've died? How are we going to solve the problem of the grave? 
That is what it's all about. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, it says men that was kept in bondage in the fear of death all their life has now been set free from that bondage through Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead. Jesus Christ himself with him and Christ cried out to the Father who was able to save him to save him. And he was heard in, in his prayer. And the Father did save him in raising him from the dead. And he brought forth the Son of God, a human being who has been bodily reborn from the Father. Hallelujah. Sounds very technical, but my goodness, man, sometimes we need to just see the simple gospel for what it is. How? The question is, if you die, who will give birth to you again that you can live forever? Who will do it? That is the question. And we find here that man doesn't have the ability in himself to live forever. Now, it is not a sin to be mortal. It's not a sin not to have the ability to live forever in yourself. That is not a sin. That is how God made us. He's made us so that whatsoever life we have, and should we live forever, that the only life whereby we would live forever would be His life, so that we can fully share in His life, so that we can feel what it feels like to, uh, to rise up as, in, in the fullness of the eternal God. That's what he wanted. He wanted to give us life. And you know, in the, uh, I don't know what it is uh, in, 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 in English. What is a spence in English? A pantry. pantry. In heaven's pantry, uh, if you go to the shelf where there says life, there's not different lives that you can pick from. There's only one, and it's the authentic life of God. <laughs> so if he gives you that life it would be only his life so he's made you from something that does not possess uh, life in itself so that it can be shaped and formed by his life so that when we have eternal life it will be the authentic eternal life of God where we would share in feel in and be heirs of the life of God himself that's what God wanted to share with us hallelujah now why shall we worry why shall we allot unto ourselves why shall we give any merit to anything that we think that we can do in our own ability. Because I tell you, once you've merited yourself, once you've allotted to yourself the responsibility to add to the equation, and you now stand and you bring what you think you need to bring to the table, you'll only realize that it cannot add one minute to you. Nothing cannot raise you from the dead. The issue that we have today is the loss of life and the restoration of life. If you look at the lives that was lost in the war, now with the Ukraine and Russia, we think of those lives and we think, what a waste. How can those lives ever be restored? That's the question. How can those lives ever be restored? We have to look at someone, and what we do as Christians, we now go and say, oh well, uh, and I see that uh, the president of uh, the Ukraine is now preaching every person in the Ukraine making him a Christian 
because in, for some way they, they're a Christian nation and that their, their faith cannot be destroyed and so forth. We, we don't find continuation of life in where we go when we die. The question is, those people that were bombed, how, who will restore their bodies, man? Who will fix this thing? Who will make this whole? Who can make everything whole again? Who can make everything new? Who? The question is, who can raise them from the dead and share with them a life where, which they can never lose? Who can completely restore them? There's only one in history that we find has ever conquered death. And that is God in the man, Jesus Christ. And the beauty is that he has appointed him as president over the whole world, over the whole earth. And he's got authority over flesh. To do what? To give a new birth, which is to give eternal life to us. Now, being rich towards God is not uh, to think that you must now pray 20 hours a day or pray 5 hours a day. No, to be rich towards God and not towards the things of this world is simply to allot or to take thought as pertaining to uh, God and what He does to give you life. And once you've come to the bottom line conclusion, once, you, once you've come and you've said, thus and you come with your answer that I have eternal life by God fulfilling his promise in his faithfulness towards me that he's conquered all death and that he is my provider anyway. A food cannot provide eternal life to me, but what can provide eternal life is given to me by promise in Jesus. He's proven that he can conquer my death because when Jesus entered death, he entered my death, he's proven that he can conquer my sin because when Jesus became sin, which sin did he become but the sin of humanity, which includes mine? When he died, what death did he die but the death of humans, which includes mine? And when he trusted the Father, what did he trust the Father for that the father would raise him up from whose death? My death. My son. And then there was a time of absolute quiet where Jesus was in the grave. And then he was raised from the dead. From what death? death? From my death. From my son. God has put on display what he's promised me. In Jesus, so that I don't have to doubt. He's shown that he's stronger than my death. He's shown that he's stronger. So what does that produce in us? It produces faith in us. It produces a persuasion in our heart that it is true. We see the faithfulness of God. That is what he's shown. He's appointed this man, Jesus, as Lord over us. We believe upon him and he does his work. What is his work? He pours out the spirit that will quicken our mortal bodies on us, the, quick, the spirit that will give a brand new birth to our physical bodies. He pours it out on us right now. And we find that we bear the fruit of the spirit where? In our flesh. Why? Because the work of God in raising Jesus from the dead has mortified 
killed the deeds of the flesh which leads unto death and he has given unto us the fruit of the spirit which is the life that belongs to immortality the life that belongs to a body raised from the dead never to die he has already given us that fruit and we will see in the end the fullness of that fruit and i've said that many times in my messages all that i preach about glory to god now let's go to john chapter 3 and we're going to talk about Jesus' birth. Now, first, let's go to John 1. That, that will be better. Good place to continue. So, we take not thought of our life, what we will eat, what we will drink, or what we will wear. No. When we take thought or we give merit, meros, if we divide asunder, the Bible says the word of God, and that word meros is also used in Hebrews 4.12 where it says that the word of God is quick. What is the word? It's the word of promise. It's quick and it is alive. And let me go there. Hebrews 4. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit. That word, it penetrates, means it, 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 it is sharper than it to its sword. It enters into, it penetrates. And that word dividing is the word meros, where we get the word merit from in the English. It merits life to, distributes life to soul, spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. In other words, it is the critical factor from where all thoughts will be determined. It will change the way you think. It will be the critical factor. It will be the wall that protects you, the firewall in your brain, the word of life. The word of life is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it distributes or merits life. It gives life to spirit. It distributes life to spirit, soul, and body. Let us not take thought of our life let us not distribute life saying it is our responsibility to give life no let us say it is the word of god what is the word of god it's the word that jesus christ was raised from the dead and that god has promised us eternal life it is sharper than any two-edged sword and it can divide life it can bring life to spirit, soul, and body, every part of us. It can even be the very thing that determines what we think. Hallelujah. So it's not for us to take thought of our, our, our life, to merit our, ourselves as agents that can produce life for ourselves. No, the only thought we take, if we want to take thought, is we merit God's word that Jesus was raised from the dead as the source that can provide life for us. Okay, now to John 1, unless I get interrupted by my own thoughts again. <laughs> right. Jy vriendelijk, my vrouw. Amen. I was just saying to my wife, are you friendly? Are you smiling? Amen, this message is good. She looks happy. <laughs> Let's go to uh, John 1.12. It says, Uh, John 1.12, let's read it.
It says, yet to all who received him. Who received? Who is he? He's the word of life. To all who received him. To those who believe on his name. He has given the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Now, we're talking about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ today. Jesus died. He was born of a woman. He was born under the law. He was born a natural man. The Bible says in Romans 1.4, he, he was of the seed of David. In 2 Corinthians 1, or 2 Timothy 1.8, Paul describes his gospel. He says, remember, my gospel is that Jesus was a descendant of David, and he was raised from the dead. That's his gospel. So Jesus Christ was born a natural man. He was born a man full of life, natural life. But then he had an issue. He died. But the father raised him from the dead. And after he was raised from the dead, he could say that the reason that he is alive is because of the father, that he owes his birth to the father. Now, the Bible says, whosoever believes upon Jesus, to all who received him, to those who believed upon his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Now, what does born of God mean? And many of you will know what scripture I'm going to write now. Acts 13. I'm going to read from verse 32. It says, We tell you the good news. What God promises our ancestors, He has fulfilled for us their children by raising up Jesus, as it is written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today, uh, um, today I have become your father. It says, You are my son. This day have I begotten you. So, it says here that God fulfilled the promise to the ancestors that he made to the ancestors by raising up Jesus from the dead as it's written I'm your father this day have I begotten you so Jesus was born of Mary but he was begotten of the father when he was raised from the dead meaning that his body was now born of the father and he now had the right to become in the flesh the son of of God, where his physical body doesn't owe its birth to Mary, but where his physical body owes his birth to God the Father. Now, Jesus died. Think of the Friday. Jesus died. Then he was in the grave. And then he was born anew, born afresh. This time he was not born of Mary, but this time his body was born of God. Now, John chapter 1 verse 12 says the following. It says, listen to this. Yet to all those who received Jesus, to those who believe upon his name, he gave the right or the authority to become the children or the sons of God. Now, listen to what he's saying. Sons, 
born not of de- natural descent. So Bertie can be born again, but my birth, the birth of my body, I will not owe to my mother or my father, but my body and being alive bodily, I will owe my birth to God. It says here, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a human's will, but born of God. It says in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the only one that was the son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So what he's saying here is, listen man, this word that your body can be born of God, was made flesh. He dwelt amongst us and we saw the glory as of the only begotten of God. We saw a man raised from the dead. And this is what the Sunday is all about. We're not taking thought of our life, what we will eat, what we will drink and what we will wear. The problem in our Christianity is that we have made the death Jesus died, basically Jesus tricking humanity with his death when he was safely living with the Father in heaven, but just his body died. It was a show of death, but then he reincarnated himself into the body and then pointed himself out as alive, wherein we today sit with this issue. We know that we are humans in the depth of our being, our subconscious mind, the depth and the core of our existence. We know that we are not just spirits living in bodies. We know we are human beings. And now we we get a gospel which is just about our spirits and then our subconscious mind keeps worrying all the time. It worries about life. And the reason why it worries about life is because it has not accessed the authority whereby this body can know that it can owe its birth to God wherein eternal life is promised to us as a human being, where we can live free from the threats of death that comes our way in this world. So here he says, unto those who have believed upon him, he's given the authority that we can become born of God, where we as humans will not owe our birth to to natural descent or our own power or taking thought on how we're going to prolong our lives, but we can owe our birth to God. This word of where a human can be physically reborn from God has become flesh and dwelt amongst us. We've seen this thing taken place right before us. We have seen his glory talking about Jesus after he was raised from the dead. The glory, the glory of the one and only Son who come from the Father, full of grace and truth. King James is born as the glory of the only begotten of God. So Jesus' glory was, he didn't owe his birth to Mary anymore. He was born of the Father. Now, John 3. Glory to God. Emilina, can you move the timer a little bit to the right that I can just see there? Okay, that's it. Otherwise, I don't see. It's just behind the camera. Um, John chapter 3. Listen to this powerful part here. It says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform these signs that you do if God is not with him. 
Jesus said to him, Verily I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Listen to what, this is John 3, it's just following, it's in context with John. Uh, John, it's the first chapters of John here, talking about the, the new birth and what Jesus came to do, the word of God and so forth. And now this new birth, being born of God, having the authority to say that God is the father of my physical body. He's continuing with that in his writing here. Jesus said, in verily I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. What had Nicodemus understood by this? Many times we see what people have communicated by how the hearer responds. He says, how can someone be born when he is old? So Jesus was definitely referring to the physical body here. Nicodemus said, how can a person be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into the mother's womb to be born. Now, here in chapter 1 verse 12, he says, listen, uh, we saw Jesus. We saw his body. We know he was born from Mary. But we then saw his glory, that he was then born of God and dwelt amongst us. We could touch him and feel him after his second birth. After his body was born from the dead and he was raised from the dead, we could touch and feel him. Glory to God. <laughs> Amen. This is absolute good news. I'm so happy. Um, let's, let's continue. I've just missed the verse here. Here it is. Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Nicodemus says, how can I? Are you, you are telling me that I must be physically reborn again. It is impossible. Jesus said to him, verily I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to what is fleshly, but spirit gives birth to what is spiritual. So what he's saying is your body was born of your mother, but that body must be born, and that body that's born of the mother is fleshly. But that body must be reborn, but now from the spirit, so that it can become spiritual, so that you can see the kingdom. You can link that to 1 Corinthians 15. I don't want to talk about a spiritual body. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Isn't that absolutely beautiful? You shouldn't be surprised that I should tell you, you must be born again. Today we find people very surprised. I was even surprised when I realized that the human body can be born again. Like Jesus, he was born of Mary, he died, and then he was born again, born of the Father. This day I have begotten you. And then he says here that we can be, we have the authority to have a body now that is not born of natural descent, which would be natural, bound under sin and death. But we can now have a body that is born of the Father, where we owe our birth to God. Jesus is raised from the dead. Do you think that he's raised from the dead because of Mary? Does he owe the life he has now? To Mary? No, he doesn't owe it to Mary. He owes it to the Father. And that is what God has come to give us. So I've got good news for you. And this is the message that I have for you. Jesus Christ died. He was buried. He was raised a new creation. We don't know him according to the fleshly nature that he had, which was derived from Mary. He was born again 
born from the dead. Hallelujah. And now we who have believed upon his name, because he was raised from the dead, we have the authority and the right to now start to experience a life where we owe the birth of that life to God. And we will have also the fullness of God as it dwells in Jesus bodily, dwell in us bodily, where the full birth of our body would be owed to God and God alone, giving us a brand new glorified body. That is what it is about. That is what the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is all about. That is what this whole thing about Easter is about. It's about the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins meaning being delivered from all the, all the, uh, uh, the effects of death by the love that God has for us. Glory to God. Well, I want to thank you that I could have served you with this message uh, today. We will let you know on when we'll be leaving to Zambia. There are certain things um, that must just first fall in place. It will. We just need uh, some answers in this week to come. We might be leaving this week or next week. There's just certain things that we are uh, waiting for, certain answers we need to have before we can go. Uh, but when we go to Zambia, we will let you guys know. And you'll travel with us. We'll go and show you uh, what has been done in the meantime uh, while we were away uh, with the building project. We'll be preaching the gospel. Elena and I, we are excited and um, we are thinking of even... Uh, after that, if things work out for us, uh, maybe travel to Brazil and uh, preach preach there. Might be heading to the United States after that. We'll see what's going to take place, uh, what how things work out for us. The wonderful thing is, is that we have a life. We all, we have a life that has been dished out to us as a free gift by God the Father. And how can we be quiet about it? It is impossible. Uh, I don't even have to preach about it. It preaches itself. It's like with you. When I look at you, the comments you put on Facebook, who you are, it shines forth by the doing of God. We don't, I don't put merit on myself to try and spread this gospel. This gospel is being spread into me and into you, and so it spreads. Hallelujah. Thank you so much that I could serve you today. And uh, let us just pray as we end off the service. Father, thank you for this wonderful message. Thank you that we can joyously sit here and think of the new birth. Thank you that we take no thought of things that can anyway not add to our life. But we, think, we take thought. We give merit to what you have done. For what you have done uh, merits us and distributes unto us. And divides unto us life, spirit, soul, body. Thank you that we can think uh, of what you have done, not just in a spiritual sense, but in something in, in the in the sense where it's real. Thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, Amen and Amen. Thank you so much, and then I will see you again next week. God bless.